Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm here with Mark Galley, our Editor-in-Chief. Good morning. How's it going? Good. It's a wonderful time of year, no? Yes, I'm enjoying it myself. A lot of sun, a lot of heat. And fireworks all week long. There you go. All right, who's joining us today? Joining us today is Marcos Simas. He's the editor of Planeta do Brasil, and he was former editor of a sister publication in Brazil, Cristianismo Hoje. And we're grateful to have him with us today to talk about things Brazilian. Hey, Marcos. Hi. How have you been enjoying the World Cup? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I've been working a lot. Probably I'm, I'm one of the Brazilians that are not watching too much the, the games. But, you know, since we are winning, it's okay <laughs> for Brazilians. So I just follow the news and listen people screaming and say go and things like that so it's fine but i keep i keep working a lot so no not much time to to watch the the games that's the news in brazil believe in me did you go to any of the olympics or world cup games olympics i went to see with my daughter um handball and and volleyball I'm a soccer fan, but, you know, it's always a lot of people watching games in, in, the, in the, the field. So I prefer to, to go to other sports in the Olympic Games. And even in the soccer uh, World Cup in Brazil, I prefer stay at home watching the games. <laughs> you don't want the giant crowds. That's me. All right. Well, cool. We are glad that you are here today. We're excited to talk to you today about what's going on in Brazil. So let's get into it. Brazil has won the World Cup five times. And as of recording, this podcast appears well on its way to its sixth. We hope so. (laughs) (laughs) The team dramatically imploded at the World Cup it hosted in 2014, but rebounded to win the Rio de Janeiro Olympics in 2016. On the podium, its star Neymar continued the long Brazilian tradition of sporting religious attire on the field, with one key difference. His headband boasted the phrase, 100% Jesus, a nod to the country's increasingly ascendant evangelical population. Two years later, the Brazilian Football Confederation banned the team from religiously themed celebrations at the World Cup, claiming that the practice could divert focus on competition and constrain athletes who practice other beliefs or are agnostic. This comes at a time where at least 25% of the Brazilian World Cup team has identified as evangelical. Catholicism's stronghold over the country has waned significantly in recent years. In fact, by 2030, Catholics are projected to become a religious minority. As Protestantism has grown, one of the biggest movements has been the Prosperity Gospel, a community which has been criticized for its theology and a number of high-profile scandals from its leaders. Evangelicals have also begun to politically organize in the country. 
What has sparked this Protestant surge in South America's largest country? How is this change affecting Brazilian society? We'll get into this today on Quick to Listen. All right, before we talk about what's going on in Brazil, I want to take the time to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And our July-August issue is hot off the presses and has an interesting story about a flood that Mark is going to tell me why he really appreciated this piece. Yeah, it's a cover story, and it's about a tragedy that happened, ironically, in Comfort, Texas, at a Bible camp, uh, where teens coming home from a camp encountered a flash flood, and many of them drowned. And it's about how the people, some of the survivors have processed that incident, uh, basically asking uh, the big questions, uh, how can a good God allow such things to happen? But it's beautifully written. It's a beautiful narrative of that story, of the, the grief and the hope we have nonetheless in the gospel. It's, uh, it's a stunning cover story. I really encourage people to get a hold of the issue and read it. All right. So if you'd like to read it, you can do that by becoming a subscriber and going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. It's orderct.com slash quick to listen. And that will allow you to read both this article on the internet and also in its print form. So Mark, I'm curious if you have a gut check to this news about the rise of Protestantism and evangelicalism in Brazil. Well, it's been a, a long growing movement. And it just continues to interest me. So I don't know. I have a, I have a, I have a instant gut check, but I have a long-term gut check of just fascination that a country that was so committed to things Catholic is now converting to various forms of Protestantism. And uh, whenever the church grows this rapidly, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, a, I'm a, too much of a journalist and church historian. It can't be all good. <laughs> so I'm hoping Marcus will help us understand what's the good. And what's the troubling signs of that growth? Yeah, my gut check would just be that, like you, it's hard to have a gut check to a giant demographic trend. But it is interesting that this seems to be taking place region-wide, um, this openness to Protestantism. And then I guess I have a similar question to you, which is like, why now? I don't know if it's a gut check. That's kind of like a gut question that I have, though. So, Marcos, before we get into all of our questions about the rise of Protestantism in Brazil. I actually think our listeners could benefit from you giving us a brief history of your country. Could you share that with us? Yes. Part of the people were indigenous. Some scholars say that the first indigenous here were like 10,000 10, years ago. But the most of the people in Brazil came from Africa and Portugal. We were colonized by, by the Portuguese people from Portugal. Some people may confuse about the Portuguese language and Portuguese people, but, you know, uh, in 1500, we learned in the school that we, are, we were discovered by Portugal. And uh, for about 300 years, we were a colony of Portugal. And in 1822, um, we became independent country. But during these 300 years, we received a lot of slaves in Brazil. We received about 40% of the slaves in Western countries. So this was, I would say, that's one very important part in our country because 
I think that you know that we suffer a lot with favelas, uh, with poor people and uneducated people, and a lot of crimes that unfortunately probably result of all this time when we were receiving slaves from Africa. And even when slavery was finished in Brazil in 1888, I would say that we did not do the right thing with them, and we just uh, left them to keep living without any kind of uh, provision from the country. So in 1889, we became a republic. So because of the influence of England and other countries, we were pressured to finish with slavery and become a republic. And this was the moment when the Catholicism just left to be like official religion in, in, in Brazil. So I would say that we are about 120 years of uh, republic. And after this, we start to receive more uh, evangelical influence in Brazil because until maybe 78 years ago or a little more, we had to have our own cemetery because, you know, all the cemeteries in Brazil were like a property of the Catholic Church. So today we don't have any kind of fighting against the Catholic. I mean, you know, we, we can to be and to work together. But uh, in the past, there was a lot of persecution in Brazil um, coming that time from the Catholic Church. Today, we have a strong population descending from uh, Japan and Italy also. We are still becoming more and more an industrialized country, and we still have a lot of social problems to resolve. Probably you are listening something about the corruption in our country. We are expecting that evangelical influence could move and change these terrible things in the years ahead. All right. Thank you so much for that overview, for all the dynamics that have affected Brazil. So we talked about Catholicism, and Catholicism obviously came over when the Portuguese began to colonize Brazil. And like you said, when you noted that the Catholic Church owned all the cemeteries here. It had a huge influence on this entire country. I'm wondering when in the 20th century did you start to see the rise of other expressions of Christianity besides Catholicism? Um, okay, I would say that was in probably in 60s. We have what we call uh, three waves of Pentecostalism in Brazil. The first wave was in the beginning of the 19th century. And the second wave was like 50s and 60s. And uh, the first wave was more like um, Assembly of God and the other denomination that we call Congregação Cristã do Brasil. It's a Brazilian denomination that came from the Presbyterian Church. So they are Pentecostals with some reformed doctrines. The Assembly of God came from the Baptist Church in Brazil. Both were like a division, you know, a new movement, an expression in that time. That surprised the country. And in the beginning, this first wave were more like a 
with simple and poor people, uneducated people, and black people, and people from the countries, inside the country, people that work in the agriculture, for example. This second wave was a little bit more urban, was a little bit more in the big cities. Uh, and most of the the things that happened in those churches were miracles, people be, being healing, you know. And the first movement, there was a strong emphasis in, in spiritual gifts. The second one was, was more miracles. Uh, this second movement was with uh, Foursquare Gospel in Brazil and other Brazilian denominations that we call Deus e Amor, like God's Love, and the Brazil for Christ, that we call O Brasil para Cristo. And the third wave that we call was in the end of the 70s, in the beginning of the 80s. And the Universal Church was the big one of, of those, and they started in 1978. But they were very, very mediatic, if you understand what I mean. So uh, they start with radio programs for simple people, for, you know, uneducated people most of the time, with uh, miracles, because until years ago, until 70s, we had a very strong movement in terms of Afro-religions in Brazil. And then the Universal Church and other church that were starting that time in this, that we call third wave, they were fighting against this group most of the time. And and this was exposed on TV for many times, I mean, and for a long time. And uh, uh, because of this, people were watching like a fight that was the, the fight from God against the devil. And so... They would put on TV like an exorcism where yes. they would be trying to cast out demons. Yes. And there was time that was like, uh, I could say funny, don't understand me in a bad way, but because the the pastor or the leader of Universal Church did some interviews with the devil. And the <laughs> devil always said, I'm afraid because I'm in a very powerful church. I'm afraid because you are a very, very powerful uh, leader. So, you know, uh, the devil was like a um, special client of, you know, in this kind of TV shows was, was like very strange. So, but this was normally broadcasted all the time, you know, mainly um, after midnight, something like between midnight and 6 a.m. And a lot of people... Uh, watching and and after a while they were buying local TV stations and they were buying radio station. So they they spread their message very in a very strong way in that time. That was the first idea of the Universal Church, a kind of Brazilian case in terms of of what we call New Pentecostal Church. But some people uh, maybe understand that. Uh, they are a new kind of Pentecostals, right? That's the first thought. But the problem is that uh, they are every time becoming more different and different and distant from the Pentecostal movement. So for the last 20 years, I would say, they moved from this exorcism and, and miracles and healing 
to prosperity gospel, what you call prosperity gospel here. So they went to TV and they start to show testimonies and people that were in certain way poor people or unemployed people or just uneducated people. And they start to show in a you know national program in for example in the best time of, of, of on TV, not more after midnight, but for example, like uh, 8 p.m., when a lot of people are watching TV in Brazil, they start to show that people that were going to universal church, they were becoming wealthy people, you know, because they were blessed by God, because they were the, you know, the best church, and the other church were not were not so good like the, you know. And sometimes they they criticize the other church. So I would say that the problem with universal church in Brazil is that a lot of people, when they think in evangelicals in Brazil, a lot of Brazilians, they think that we are always and all like universal church appears on TV. You know, that's the the power of media. You won't believe it, but... Also here, people have arguments over who gets to be considered evangelical as well. So we understand when you're talking about <laughs> people conflating all the evangelicals with the universal church. I have a question for you about when you talked about these Afro-religions. How would you say that the Afro-religions have influenced Brazilian evangelicalism? Some scholars say say that we, we brought to Brazil about 4 million slaves, right? So they have their own religion there. And they came to Brazil, and, and because of the influence of Catholic Church in that time, it's interesting to know that uh, they were not accepted, their religion was not accepted by the Catholic Church in that time, because it was a state official religion, and the state that gave the bless to the Catholic Church in Brazil, and then was common that time. We we see people from Africa with their religion in, in a hiding place in their own house uh, because the Catholic Church did not allow that to be done. And what happened that time is for to keep practicing their religion, they did like a mix of Catholic saints with an Afro religion like saints, you know, or gods. So you see some of the Afro-religions, gods or saints, I mean, I would say more gods, compared with the Catholic saints here in Brazil. So that was a way that they, they found to, to keep practicing their religion. But this was like common. You be that time a Catholic church member, and at the same time, you had your, we say Portuguese, you had your feet in a, a Afro-religion place. You had, at the same time, two religions, but also, for many times, those religions were more for poor and, and black people here. So the Catholic were more for uh, more educated people, and the Afro-religions more for the descendant of slaves and poor people uh, here in Brazil. Is that true of the... Uh let's say the Universal Life Church, 
are there people that go to the to, to watch these programs, but uh, on Sunday they might still go to mass? Yes. Yes. So they might be counted as both Catholic and members of these. Not, not really. Actually, uh, talking with some some professionals that work with censors in Brazil, they say that most of the people today don't like to mention, or even when they are, you know, under interview with these people that try to capture the the information about, you know, religiosity, for example. Uh, because we have we have a census in Brazil every ten years, so they prefer to say that they are Catholic. Because you know, for some people, uh, if you mention that you are um, Afro-religion follower, it's it's like a social, you know, not welcome right. for some. Right. And most of the time, they say that they go during the day, during the week. To uh, the head is like a, a place where they have their coats, right? It's a Portuguese name. It's a, uh, we, we use this in Brazil. And they go in the weekend, they go to a, a, a Catholic temple. So it's that the way that works here in Brazil. Yeah. That was true as early as the uh, evangelization of Europe in the 700s, 800s, where you see we find um, letters from bishops telling their priests, you've got to tell these people that. They can't go out and worship to pagan gods in the forest on the weekday. They have to. They have to stop that. So it's a it's a continual struggle for churches that are in that type of mixed situation. So we mentioned the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. What are some other really big and important churches in Brazil, Marcos? We have Assembly of God. That's a very strong church here. A very strong denomination. They are some something like fifteen million, maybe more. They start in 1911 in Brazil, okay? Uh, as a, a, a new movement that in Brazil uh, started as a division from the Baptist Church. And it's interesting that in the Assembly of God, they are becoming more and more similar in a certain, a certain sense with the Baptist Church. Because in, in, in Brazil, the Baptist Church and the... Uh, even the Presbyterian Church and more what we call historical church and more traditional church, they are leaving the Sunday school, you know, system. But the Assembly of God is investing in this now. We 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 have some scholars that divide the church in Brazil. And on one side, you have the rational uh, religion church that work more with. Uh, reflection, readings, study of the Bible, you know. And the other side, you have the, the church that are more experienced, more, you know, more uh, emotions during the service, you know. So Assembly of God is becoming more and more lately uh, rational, not in a bad sense of the word, because in the past, when the Assembly of God arrived in Brazil with, with more simple people, one of the emphasis was that you should have more uh, Holy Spirit power instead knowledge about the Bible. If you study too much, you can become, you know, more rational and to become far from the power of the Holy Spirit that works in your life. But in a way that they are studying more and more 
the Bible, and um, and they have some of the huge events for training the Sunday school teachers in Brazil. They can put together like three, four thousand professors for a weekend training program. And they are bringing to Brazil some American professors, some American, you know, masters to teach them. And it's very interesting because they still sell more than 10 million of what they call Sunday school magazine. Do, do you remember this? Like a Sunday school material for study? Yeah, yeah. And one of the, the top Brazilian publishers today, probably the number one in the evangelical scenario, is the Assembly of God Publishing House. And they, they it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think that was five years ago, they got the rights of a study Bible that, I think that U.S., the name is Keyword Study Bible, is that, is AMG Publishing uh, product. And this is a study Bible that it's mainly uh, uh, Hebrew and Greek uh, lexical and, and, and dictionary, and you know, it's a special study Bible for original language. And they sold 50,000 copies in less than one year. That surprised very much the, the market because you know, you never could think about this with Pentecostal church in 60s, for example. Yeah, they are trying to be more balanced in terms of doctrines, you know, and, and instead to improve. Uh, what they did in the past, like 100 years ago, instead they improve exorcism or, or only uh, healing or only uh, spiritual gifts. They are also, uh, you know, uh, offering tools for the, their members to learn more about God, doctrines, and theology. So it's it's a, a very nice movement today. Brazil's assembly of God. Yeah, that's a nice a nice way to break a stereotype for me. I'm really encouraged to hear that, that the assemblies are emphasizing Christian education more. That's a great sign of, a, of their health, I think. And the Baptist church, and what we call historical church, that's Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Congregationalist church in Brazil, they did not grow in as the, mainly the Assembly of God and some Pentecostal church. But, I mean, it's my perception, you know. Uh, it's that those churches, those Pentecostal churches, they can reach more the average of our population in the language, in a way that the more traditional church cannot reach. Because there is that thing that we call the language, you know, the meaning of the things, the, the rational way to think about Christianity, you know, it's, it's different from from one church to other church, if you compare, you know, the Baptist church, you have a different approach to people, you know, things are less experiential, like if you compare with the Assembly of God, you know. So I understand that it's also um, a natural way to reach those people that were in some way far from the church because the message was still different or difficult of comprehension or, or to be practical in their life. 
Today's episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. Today we are talking with Michael Card. He is a singer and songwriter, and he served as a stylist for the Christian Standard Bible. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing good, Maury. Mike, you have been someone who's been in the world of words for a long time. Would you remember first falling in love with words and language? That's something that's always been a part of my world. My mother was an English teacher and read to us, I mean, more than I wanted to. Sometimes I would complain and ask her to stop. I've written about 450 songs. The first one we recorded was a song called A Stranger on the Shore, which is from John 21, the second miraculous catch of fish. That's the very first song. But I I principally got it from my mother. Uh, She also wrote some poetry. There's never a word that I would ask her the meaning of that she couldn't define and use the sentence. She had a remarkable vocabulary, and she loved words. So I think that's something I, I, I really got from her. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com slash ct. This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today. I'm wondering, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges for the Brazilian church today? We have some. I'll try to split this for group, right? Um, for example, for the, the historical and more traditional church, one big challenge is to keep preaching the truth, not negotiating the truth, because of the new Pentecostal church are getting more and more audience. Because, you know, you have uh, the Presbyterian church, for example, According to, to the census, they declined a little bit in 10 years, in the last census, 2010, the number of members. So, you know, if you see the other groups growing and your own group is not growing, you, you start, as a leader, you start to, to, to make questions. You know, and, and sometimes you go to the wrong answers. So, and probably this is the case of some Brazilian pastors of this kind of more uh, rational church or or more traditional church or historical church. So they have to keep preaching the truth, the truth instead to preach something more flexible to receive people. The second group is the the Pentecostal church. The challenge is, I mean, the Pentecost that I say uh, is that that I call the first and second wave. The same left God, for example, the Congregação Cristiano Brasil and the other. In my opinion, they must to keep preparing their members to not back to this confusion of nominalism, of uh, evangelical nominalism, because what we are watching now 
Remember the, when I, when you talked a little bit, a little, a few minutes ago that that we were uh, thinking about the the Catholic member that were to the Terreiro, to the to the Candomblé, to the Umbanda place, the cult or service. Right. Uh huh. Okay. Now you can see people in Pentecostal or New Pentecostal church that they go to those places and also to. Pentecostal or New Pentecostal Church. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. Wow. So this is a complete dangerous thing for the for the church. So what what we we expect is that this group, that's the biggest group in Brazil, uh, that are the Pentecostal uh, from the first and the second wave, that they try to improve the training, the discipleship. The teaching for those people do not accept this kind of mixing. I mean, it's 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 very dangerous because we can see them becoming like the Catholic Church in Brazil for years. You know, accepting and just not confronting and and telling the people what's the truth and what's not the truth. And the third challenge would be uh, for those that we call New Pentecost, that would be the third wave movement. That is uh, Igreja Internacional da Graça de Deus, that would be like International Church of Grace of God and Universal Church and other churches. One, just one, one uh, uh, quick uh, comment that it's interesting that the three main denominations of this New Pentecostal group, they use international global names, you know, like uh, inter, uh, universal church. <laughs> yes. International church. And the, the and the newest one is world church. So they like high numbers and, you know, and huge words, you know, for cover the whole world. <laughs> exactly. It's international, it's universal, and is global. You know, it's, it's, it's a word, it's like global church. But this group has the challenge of not be so close to the Afro-religions group. Because if you see some services and some... I, I would say that in certain sense, it's not, it's not like the service as you are as you have in the United States, because it's much more like a training, uh, a training session, you know, because you have, if you see a huge event with self-help uh, preachers, I mean, in a secular way, uh, you know, that someone goes uh, in, in the stage and, and tell, okay, I was, an employee in that time, and now I'm a wealthy businessman. I have two Mercedes, I have one Ferrari. So it's, this is a kind of, I would say, you know, service that uh, New Pentecostal movement are showing most of the time. But they have the challenge of first to disconnect in the to be disconnect in the future of their founders because this. Those two churches or, or denominations, they have the founders that are still alive, and they are very powerful. They have no limits. Even when there's all these scandals, you still think they have no limits? 
You know what they say about the scandals? It's persecution for the word to the children of God. All so, right. you know, it's a way that simple people just say, you're right. And they use Bible Bible verses to explain and to prove that. You know, if you are persecuted in the name of Jesus, so it's the devil that's coming to you. So they, I would say that they are very smart and they they answered this way, showing the Bible and and saying the Bible says that it would happen with the the children of God. So it's a little complicated to explain to people this. Sure. But since they still have uh, those strong leaders, powerful men, I I said they have the final word, but they have the the, the first word. I mean, they have the all words that they want. So they decide everything. And the people believe in that. So in, in one day, not too far, I hope, they they will have to change something after the leaders die. So we hope that in this time, more than a kind of fight uh, uh, for power inside the church, we hope that they they can move to a Christianity more close to the you know reference that we have in the history and and trying to be back more to... Sure, to Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Marcos, I wanted to sneak in one question here about soccer, since that's how we started this conversation. And you actually wrote a piece for us um, that's out this week about soccer um, and Brazil's soccer players being open and public about their evangelical faith. I'm, I'm curious, how long would you say that these players have been very forthcoming about their evangelical faith and how does the public responded to this okay it started probably in 80s it started not with the national team we had a few in 80s that were christians but they were just just like you know in silence in that time but i would say that the main event was uh in the united states world cup in 1994 when in that final the Brazilian goalkeeper Tafarel, that was a, a very serious Christian, still is. He's still working with the national team today as a, a, a goalkeeper keeper trainer. He was a final and was a, a, a penalty final that was in Uso. I think that was the first time in the history. And in one side was a Buddhist uh, that was an Italian uh, soccer player, uh, Baggio. And the other side was a Christian. And the people were saying uh, there was not, you know, internet in that time, strong year. But on TV, the guys were saying, that's a war. I mean, that's a final between the Christian God and Buddha. So that was very strong. But think about a country that uh, uh, soccer is part of, of the uh, cultural identity. And, you know, God won that final and so and that was the i would say that one important event because it was you know the country was stopped just to watch that game and and that time uh, what you call atletas de cristo is like a christian athletes they were very strong they were having a special uh, time with the, the the soccer players in that time with Bible studies and with prayers. And during this time, after this, a lot of 
of, you know, a lot of athletes became evangelical. And at the same time, this song, uh, the children of the Pentecostal members in the favelas and, you know, and the simple people in the country, they became soccer players, like, like, for example, Neymar. They became a soccer player, they became famous, and they always received influence from their fathers, I mean, the mother, the father, the parents, and they just said, okay, I arrived in this place because, because of the blessing of God. So, so because of this, it's natural. They try to show the people that Jesus is in control and Jesus is using them to, you know, to, to become winners and things like that. Yeah, and we've seen it, as we noted at the beginning, with Neymar and many of these other popular players referencing their faith. And it'll be interesting 100% to see. 100% Jesus, Neymar, right? Exactly. Yeah, I would say 80% is okay, not too much. Not too much. <laughs> 10% girls and 10% money, or maybe more. <laughs> Um, well, Marcos, thank you for giving us this overview of evangelicalism in Brazil. It was really interesting to hear all of the stuff that's going on there. For listeners that have questions or comments at us, again, you can go on Twitter and chat with us there. We're at CT Podcasts, or you can send us an email at podcasts at christianitytoday.com. Um, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and it's when we ask everyone to share something that's bringing them joy. All right, Mark, you ready to go? Yeah, it's a season that's bringing me joy. I'm just, for some reason, this uh, this spring and summer, I'm just uh, amazed at how quickly things grow here. Once once the snow melts and the rain starts and the weather heats up, I planted a garden, probably a, I'm noticing it because I planted a garden this year and I'm trying to keep up with the weeds. I mean, you can, you, bl- you, you can clear all the weeds out and blink and it seems like they're all back within a day or two. I, I, I suspect that if I would just sat there and watched, I could watch these things grow. And everywhere you turn, things are popping up through cement and they're popping up in windowsills. It's just an amazing time of year in Chicagoland. What's in your garden? Ah, I've had radishes, lettuce, broccoli, cantaloupe. Yeah, just a variety of things. Tomatoes, yep. All right, where can people keep up with you? I publish something called The Galley Report every week. It comes out on Fridays. You can subscribe to it by going to christianitytoday.com slash thegalleyreport. Uh, It's a a newsletter in which I uh, link to stories and comment on them. All right. Marcos, do you have something that's brought you joy in the past week you want to share? Yes, I'd like to say that uh, even uh, looking at this scenario that we see, um, you know, scandals in Brazil and and crises and uh, economical crises, corruption, and even when we see evangelicals do not, you know, doing the right things and in, 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 in publicly, we have a lot of this here in, in, in among politicians, politicians, for example. I see that what's nice is that even in the middle of the crisis, people are looking for Jesus, are looking for God as the, you know, the answer for the crisis. You know, even when they see corruption among the Christian leaders and all, all kind of, you know, this scandal, they are looking for Jesus. And this is amazing because... You know, uh, there is nothing that can stop this kingdom. That's I love to see this. 
even the, the middle of the, the crisis or, or, or all kinds of uh, critics, uh, we can see people coming to Jesus. Yeah, so it's nice. I like to see this. Also, we're going to celebrate our 30, 31 years anniversary of marriage in Chicago this year. We'll be there in Chicago in our... Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We love to live in Chicago, the friendship of people, even the snow. <laughs> uh, you well, know, it's a little different for us, but uh, it was a different time. It was was nice. Well, come visit us again. We'll be happy to see you. Okay. I have one question. What do Brazilian... I know it's winter there right now. What do Brazilian people do in the winter? You know, our winter is not like your winter. So... Think that is like your uh, spring. Okay. So uh, we do everything. <laughs> we go to the beach. We go to the pool. We you know. Okay. We 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 do barbecue. So we cook barbecue. So it, it's it's different because you know it it you don't have to change a lot of things like when you have snowing. So okay. It's a nice time. It's. Uh, you you don't have to turn on your air conditioner because in Brazil this you have to use most of the time. So it's it's a nice time. I'm a little I f- I'm feeling now a little a little cold time because <laughs> it's 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 our winter, but no no snow. No snow. Well, thank you for sharing that. My precious moment. You know, Chicago has Lake Michigan, and they call what's next next to Lake Michigan, the beach, even though it is not salt water there. And I was at the beach a lot this weekend. I think I went into Lake Michigan like eight times or something like that, just because I love being next to the lake and everyone wants to be next to the lake when it's this hot outside. And I'm so thankful that you can swim in the lake and you can have picnics by the lake. And we did all of those things. We so, did that when we lived in Chicago. It was, it was nice. It's nice, right? Yeah. Yes, very nice. It's a beautiful lake. So I'm really thankful for Lake Michigan. That is probably my precious moment. And people can follow along with me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. It's been great to have you here. Um, Thank you for everyone who rates and reviews the shows on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that and all the really kind and thoughtful comments that you leave for us about the show. So thank you for that. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. If you want to support the show, go to orderct.com slash quick to listen. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>